Well, hey, my name is Josh, one of the pastors here at Radiant Life. And uh, before we jump into our next installment in our series, Upside Down Kingdom, I wanted to just throw in a bonus announcement. So, I don't know, it was a month or so ago, Pastor Ryan had said we were going to be rolling out this new thing called the Radiant Institute, kind of a school of discipleship type thing. And I wanted to let you know, next Sunday, July 31st, we are going to do an informational meeting slash Q&A after each one of the services. So after the 9 o'clock, after the 11 o'clock, uh, Pastor Ryan and myself will be in the Next Steps room right out there. If you go out these doors, uh, there on the left is the Next Steps room. We will be there to do a, a brief informational meeting about what the Radiant Institute School of Discipleship will look like, what that will be. So if you were here when we talked about that before and you were interested, I want to encourage you to come to that. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, but you're curious, you can come to that meeting next Sunday. So we'll be there after each service. But hey, we're going to jump into the next installment in our series, Upside Down Kingdom, where we look at the parables that Jesus told. And today's parable is found in, where did I set the little doohickey? Chad, where did I put that? I lost the little clicker thing. It's in my pocket right now. There we go. There we go. So uh, I want to encourage you to turn turn to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Uh, We're going to be looking at this parable. This is actually the third parable in a set of three that Jesus told. So if you're looking for something to do this week, I want to encourage you to go jump into Matthew chapter 21 and you can read the first two parables that Jesus told. And this one, like several of the others, was kind of aimed at the Pharisees, the religious leaders that were going around kind of badgering Jesus about stuff. So he kind of aimed this one at them. So, but again, it's the third one. They were a a frequent, uh, they were frequent recipients of the parables that Jesus told because he was trying to help them uh, see how they had misunderstood the kingdom. Well, I want to invite Noah I'm looking around. Noah, all right. I, I want, as Noah comes up, he's actually, he did first service and he's doing this service. So, so he's, uh, Noah's a heavy hitter right here uh, today. So I want to encourage you to stand. Uh, Noah's going to be reading. If your the version that you have in front of you is different, that's all right. You will survive, I promise you. Uh, but let's let's engage with the words of Jesus here today in Matthew chapter twenty-two. Hello. <laughs> nice. He's he's way more polite than me. I should have answered like every, everybody say hello back. So be like, hi, Noah. <laughs> All right, there you go. Thank you. Take it away, Noah. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servant to those who had been invited to tell them to come, to the, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who had been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered, but they paid Noah, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business, and the rest seized their servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murders and burned their city. Then he sent his to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the streets, to the cor- street corners, and invite to the banquet anyone get you find. So the servants went out into the streets, gathered all the people they could find. As the the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came to see the guest, he noticed a man went there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, "How did you get in here, friend?" The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants. Tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Matthew 22, 1 through 14. 
All right, hey, cool. Thank you, Noah. Thank you, thank you. You can grab a seat. So Jesus tells this, this story right, about this, this king who he prepares this feast and he sent out invitations to all of these people. And then he just, he kind of works through what happens from there. And I want to I talk about four different plot points in this story that Jesus tells. And the first plot point is this, there will be a feast. Right now, from the beginning Right When humanity decided to, to kind of say, nah, God, we don't want to do things your way. We want to do things our way. Right? And, they, and they screwed everything up for the rest of us. Right, right from the beginning, God said, hey, like you guys did this. You screwed it up. This is going to get really ugly. But, he said, but I'm going to do something to fix this. I've had a plan already in place to where I'm going to restore things. I'm going to return things to the way that they were originally intended to be. I'll bring back this, this shalom, this peace, this wholeness. Or in a world where, where everything that's been broken is restored and repaired. He says, that's coming, right? And that was in there right from the beginning. You see that right away in Genesis chapter three after Adam and Eve disobey and they sin. God says, I've got, I'm going to take care of this. He says, there will come a day when things will be made right. And all throughout the, the Old Testament, what we read, right? They're looking forward to this day, right? And they were looking forward to this Messiah, this figure who would come and he would be the one who would usher in that new kingdom, the kingdom where things were right and all the broken things were fixed. So there's this expectation, this looking forward. And you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, right, we look forward to this as well. In Revelation chapter 19, we see this. It says, then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of a mighty ocean wave or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord for the Lord our God, the almighty reigns. This is John, one of Jesus' disciples. He's right and he's given this vision of what things will be like at the end. And he's, he's recording that for us here in the book of Revelation. He says, let us be glad and rejoice. Let us give honor to him, to God, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the lamb and his bride has prepared herself. She's been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. For the linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the lamb. And he added, these are the true words that come from God. We see there's been this expectation from the beginning of restoration. And John, the disciple of Jesus, reminds us this is still coming this is still coming. Jesus showed up and he ushered in the kingdom and he began that process of restoration, but it will come to its completion at some point in the future. And we look forward to that day. There will be a feast. Plot point number two is this. Many are invited to the feast. Many are invited, right? We see initially, we see uh, the king, he sends out his servants. He says, hey, go, go and tell the people who have been invited, right? Very similar to how in our, our culture, right, we do like save the date, right? Like, hey, like it's, it's not the actual invitation yet, but here's your save the date. Mark this on your calendar so you know what's coming. And at some point you're gonna get an invitation like that kind of gives you the heads up, this is, this is going down. It would have been the same there, right? These people, the servants went out to, to talk to, we're not surprised like, oh, what? That's, that's this Thursday? Are you, really? He said, no, they would have already been aware that this feast was coming. The king had already given them the invitation. And then the second invitation is to say, all right, hey, it's time. Let's go. Come on in. And we see three different types of response to the, to the invitation that the servants go out and bring. The first one is apathy. We see this apathetic response from some of the people. Jesus says this of the guests. He says, but some of them, some of the ones that had been invited, they ignored the messengers. 
And they just went about their business. One to his farm, one to his business. He says, they knew this was coming. They knew the king, right? Which, and if the king invites you to a banquet, you go to the banquet. But he says, hey, it's time. And they said, meh. Like, you know what? I've really got to go. I've got to go plow that field. You know, I really got to, mm, I got to check the books from last month to see how we're doing. And there's this apathetic response. And I think that's connected to a preoccupation with life, right? Not life like staying alive, but like the daily things of life that we get, we get so caught up with. Jesus addressed this several times, several times. He says, hey, this is something you guys have to pay attention to. He told a different parable in Matthew chapter 13. And he describes this farmer who goes out and he's throwing seed. And Jesus says, well, he, as he threw seed, it landed on this, a variety of types of soil. He says, there's this soil and the birds ate it. There's this soil and this happened. And then there's this happened. And one of those is he says, it landed on this soil and it, and it grew, but then it, it got choked out by thorns and weeds. And then later as Jesus is explaining this parable to his disciples, he says this in Matthew chapter 13, verse 22. He says, the seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word. They, they hear that invitation. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. And so no fruit is produced. He says, there are people who hear, the, they hear this invitation, but they're so preoccupied with the day-to-day life that they're living that they, they, don't, they don't accept it. They said, ah, yeah, I knew this was coming, mm, but I, I really just got to do this one last thing. This one last thing. In Matthew chapter six, Jesus is, is talking about this again. And, he's, and he says, man, you guys worry about what you're going to eat. You worry about what you're going to wear. He's like, but man, I will, I'll take care of that stuff. He says, seek first the kingdom. Seek first, make that your focal point. Make that your priority. Your number one pursuit is the kingdom. And when we do that, he says, all these other things, like those, those are gonna be added to you. He says, you gotta, you gotta focus on the kingdom. But you see this apathetic response to the invitation. And there are those of us here today that maybe we know what Jesus is calling us into, but we're too preoccupied with the cares of this life. We say, well, Lord, hey, I just got to first, first I got to do this. And then, and then I'll do that thing that you want me to do. Well, first, Lord, I really, you know, I've been wanting to do this for a while. And then maybe I'll get to your thing. No, he says, kingdom first, seek the kingdom first. Some of us respond with apathy. Now, the second type of response we see is aggression. Aggression. He's, Jesus says this. He says, others seized his messengers. They seized them, insulted them, and killed them. Now, this would have, there would have been some, some past-oriented indictment here. Right? Remember who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to the religious leaders. And he's saying this king has this banquet, and he invites these people, and he sends his messengers and the messengers are mistreated and killed. And if you look back over the history of the people of Israel, right, right, right out of the gate, right, you see them freed from, from slavery in Egypt. And then God, through Moses, he lays out very clearly for them. He says, hey, you've got two options. He says, he says you can live a life, right? You can, you can choose to like go this way. If you can work Star Wars into something, it's a good Sunday. Am I right? Am I right? He says, you can, you can follow the things that I tell you and you can go this way. You can live in the light. Right? You, can, you can take hold of all of the promises that I've given you if you go this way. He says, your other option is to go this way. And if you go this way, there is pain and there is hurt. And there is, there's curses, right? Like, like this was serious business. You can go this way, good things will happen. You can go this way, bad things will happen. And time and time again, Israel said, 
This sounds pretty good. And they went this way. And God, in his compassion, sent them prophet after prophet to say, guys, guys, God told you, if you go this way, blessings will occur. If you go this way, curses will fall on you. He's like, guys, you're going this way, but, but come back. Please come back. And prophet after prophet was ignored, mistreated, imprisoned, or killed. So there is past indictment as Jesus speaks these things to the religious leaders here. We see this later in the book of Acts where the first Christian martyr, Stephen, right, he, he takes a brief tour through Israel's history and he calls out the religious leaders and he says, you guys are just as bad as your ancestors. They killed the prophets that came to warn them that they were missing the mark. And you guys did the same thing to Jesus. And Jesus calls them out for that. So there's past indictment, but there's also kind of a future implication here. Because if you look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, he's having this conversation with his disciples as he's sending them out to do ministry, to preach the message that he's been preaching. Hey, repent, because the kingdom is near He sends his disciples with that good news to bring to people. But he warns them. He says, hey, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. So you're going to have to be as shrewd as snakes, but as harmless as doves. He says, just heads up. He says, you're going to be handed over to the courts. You're going to be flogged with whips in the synagogues. He says, you're going to be standing trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. He says, you're going to be bringing this good news and there are going to be people that respond aggressively. They want to stamp out this message that you are bringing. Just a heads up. Side note, right? If if somebody told you, hey, just come on, follow Jesus and everything's going to be good and it's going to be okay and it's going to be a smooth road. Like they lied to you. Jesus says, man, they persecuted me and you're not any better than the master, so buckle up. He says, there are going to be people that hear this message of hope and they will rail against it. They've been doing it to the prophets that God sent for centuries. He says, they are going to continue to do it. And we see this play out as the early church is persecuted and scattered Right, you look over the history of the early church. They did not have a smooth road because people said, no, we don't like this. So you've got people that respond with apathy. You have people that respond with aggression. And then you have people that respond with acceptance. Right? Jesus is telling the story. And he says, so the servants brought in everyone they could find and they filled the banquet hall. And this is a picture of a, of a Bedouin feast, right? They're just, they're all coming together, man. There's good food, right? They killed the fattened calf. They're just, they're having a party. But then we come across a part of the story and, and, and quite frankly, this always troubled me a little bit, right? You read this and you're like, eh, like that's, that's a little uncomfortable because the next plot point that I want to discuss is this. There's a dress code, there is a dress code. Now, it's not my normal, like, not my normal type of place, but has anyone ever been to, like, a real nice, like, black tie kind of event? Frank, right? Did you, did you show up wearing a T-shirt and, like, your Christmas shorts, Adam? Did you? No, you, you wish you could, but you didn't. You didn't. Why not? They'd be like, get out of here. What's wrong with you? You can't show up to this thing wearing that. Right? We see Jesus say, He says, man, there's a dress code because there's this guy, he comes in, right? He accepts the invitation. He comes into the banquet. I mean, the king comes over, he's like, friend, like, why aren't you wearing the wedding clothes? And the guy didn't have an answer. Now, in in this culture, right, you don't have to go and rent a tux to go to the king's son's banquet, right? But you you would have found the best thing that you had. You've been given a great honor by being invited into this space with the king. And we see this guy 
dishonors the king in return. He doesn't, we don't know what he's wearing. Jesus doesn't give us that details. But whatever it was, it was apparent to the king. This, like, dude, you know better. Like, you know, you know, right? This guy was in the culture. He knew, right? This isn't like, we were supposed to dress up for this. No, he would have known this. He chose not to do that. He said, he's trying to get in on his own terms. But there's a dress code. There's a dress code. The king comes in to meet the guests and the guy doesn't have the right clothes. Why don't you have it? And the guy had no reply. Our first point is there's a feast, right? There will be this, this restoration of all things that is coming. And many are invited to attend this feast. But there's a dress code. Dress code? It's like clothes and code. It's all rolled up in one. Man, the last two weeks, I just don't know how to speak. If, if there's a swam in the going through here, I don't know. There's a dress code. And that dress code has a name, right? To our, to our eternal feast, the eternal union of Jesus and his bride, the church, there is a dress code. And I would suggest to you here today that the name of that dress code is Jesus. In John 14, 6, Jesus says this. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one. Who? No one. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, you don't get in unless I get you in. There's a dress code. And we don't, we don't always like this, right? We don't like this idea of, of, of the kingdom being exclusive. We live in a culture that celebrates inclusivity. We're like, oh, like, hey, everybody should have a seat. Oh, everybody, oh, that's, everyone's good. Come on. Jesus says, I am the only way. The only way. In Matthew 7, Jesus is, is, is talking about this and he says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. He says, the highway to hell is broad and the gate is wide for the many who choose that way. This is a nice wide road and some gates in Ephesus, right? It's like, hey, you could fit a boatload of people through that way. Let's just come on, keep them coming. Let's go. And he says, that's the path to destruction. He said, it's pretty easy. Right, that'd be a pretty easy road to travel. Right, you get, you get all kinds of people through those gates. But he says the gateway to life is very narrow. Not just narrow, it's very narrow. And the road is difficult. And only a few ever find it. He says this is something that people are gonna struggle with. The path of Jesus isn't one that's well-paved and easy to tread. He says, the, the road is hard. He says, the gate's narrow. And you only get through it with Jesus. Right, you, talk, you go back to this guy at the, at, the, at the wedding, right? This guest who didn't have the proper wedding clothes. Right, when we, when we come into a relationship with Jesus, it's this idea that God is over there, right? And he's He's holy. And he is, he is untouchable by us because sin has contaminated us. And the thing that allows us to enter into that space is Jesus showed up and he died on the cross and he said, I'm gonna pour out like JP said, right? Like, like this is a sacrifice that once and for all takes care of that. So we, we, are, we, we put on Jesus like it's his righteousness, right? God isn't looking at like, oh yeah, well, hey, you're right. No, it is only what is accomplished through Jesus then now we have this righteousness to enter in to the presence of God. But a lot of us, we try to get in on our own terms. Right? We try, well, hey, well, I just, as long as I'm a good person, as long as I do more good things than bad things, nope, Jesus. Jesus, that's how you get in. Well, yeah, but you know, really whatever religion you serve, as long as you're, no, Jesus. Like it's Jesus. Now, 
Am I saying that there's no benefit to any other religion, right? Can you be a Muslim and have some benefits in this life? Can you be a Buddhist? What if it, sure, you can have some benefits in this, this life. Will that benefit you in eternity? No. Jesus is the dress code. And so to come into that relationship with God, Jesus gives us his righteousness. And then as we allow him to transform our lives through the power of Holy Spirit, our lives actually start to look more and more like Jesus. Right, James talks about that. Like, hey man, if you've got faith, man, there better be some action behind it. Right, this should propel you to, to actually do something. If you say, oh yeah, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus, but your life doesn't look any different than it did before you were following Jesus, I don't know if you got it. Because Holy Spirit will transform us and that will affect the way we live. Paul writes to the church in Colossae. And in Colossians chapter three, and and Paul does this often, right? He does this kind of compare and contrast. And if you were to read, you can do this over the next week, the first chunk of, of Colossians chapter three, you see Paul outline what it looks like when we keep on our old ratty t-shirt, right? We're living by the sin nature. He tells us what that looks like. But then starting in verse 12, he says this. It says, since God, and this is just really warm. Sorry, I'm like sweating like a beast up here with that thing on. <laughs> since God chose you to be holy people that he loves, you must clothe yourselves Put this on. Make this the way you live your life. Allow Holy Spirit to bring this about in your life. Clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you. You must forgive others. I love this part, right? Let's camp out here for, for just a minute, right? Because like I said, this, this idea of the exclusivity of Jesus, right? This is not always widely received. And people are like, oh, well, hey, you know, who are you to say, you know, that, that yours is right and everyone else is wrong? Like, I, I want to add this. As followers of Jesus, we should be some of the most gracious. Uh, we should be the most gracious people when we sit down with somebody who has a different worldview, with somebody who votes differently than we do, with somebody who, who thinks just in a whole different realm than we do. We should be the most gracious people on, on the planet, right? Because we're called, to, we're called to love people, yes, right? And, and man, Jesus is the only way, but let's, let's create space to at least have a conversation, right? We've lost that art in our culture today, right? Our politicians can't do it, right? They just get up there and like throw apples at each other or something. I don't know. I think that was the last uh, political debate that I watched. They were just throwing apples or something. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that wasn't a debate. Maybe that was, you know, some kid's programming. I, <laughs> I can't tell the difference anymore. <laughs> Between... We should be very gracious as we engage people that have different worldviews. But at the end of the day, we are called to put on Jesus. Jesus is the only way for us to have a seat at the feast. Our lives should look different. I love there, it says, make allowance for each other's faults. Man, if you're married, do you do, you do that? Do you make allowance for each other's faults or do you like constantly point, well, hey, you, you did this wrong, you did this wrong, you did this wrong. Or do you make allowance for each other's faults? Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Revelations 22. Again, we're jumping back into Revelations. Because again, man, I think we should read Revelations more. I said this in first service. I'll say it again. I've said this for years, working with like middle school guys. If you think the Bible is boring, read Revelations. Like there are grasshoppers with armor. Like you're going you're gonna to be like, whoa! Like this is, it's super cool. You're going you're gonna to be excited. Just read Revelation. Uh, it's going to confuse the living snot out of you, but it's okay. Don't worry about it. Just read it. It'll be good. Revelation 22 says, look, just Jesus speaking. He says, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. 
I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes. Right? So this isn't something where, oh, hey, sweet, I come into this relationship with Jesus. Now I'm good to go. I'm just going to coast here for a while. Right? Like there is activity. Again, go back to James. He says, man, faith without works, dead and useless. Like there will be action produced because of your faith. If, if there isn't, you've missed it. Wash your robes. Allow Holy Spirit to transform you from the inside out, changing you at a heart level. And when you're changed at the heart level, that will change on the outside as well. Those who wash their robes, they will be permitted through the gate into the city. They will get to eat the fruit from the tree of life. Those are the people. But you have this guy at the wedding and he doesn't wear the right clothes. He dishonors the king who gave him the honor of an invitation. And he wasn't one of the original recipients of it, right? So this is after all the original ones said, nah. So this guy got an extra honor and he dishonors the king. How might you and I as followers of Jesus, right? As people who are are trying to live that way, how might we dishonor the king? Paul talks in Romans chapter five. In Romans, man, if you, if you want like a you know, little bit of a head scratcher, read through the book of Romans for a while. Romans chapter five, starting in verse 20, Paul writes this. God's law was given so that all people could see just how sinful they were. So, <laughs> woo, let's get excited. But... Check this out. As people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. He says, man, as we recognize how sinful we are, man, that makes grace that much sweeter. He says, so just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing. Again, that's that righteousness the right clothes that we can put on gives us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He says, there's a feast, eternal life. He says, and you can, you can get there. We're given right standing. We're given the ability to get there through Jesus. Then I love how Paul writes because he anticipates objections. He, he kind of anticipates where people's thinking is going to go. He knows, and maybe this was an actual problem in the church at Rome. We don't, we don't know that detail. But he's like, okay, I just told him that, that when sin got even bigger, grace got even bigger. And there's got to be someone out there that's thinking, huh, well, you know what? If sin makes grace even better, what, what could we do with that? So Paul says, ah, ha, ha. Well, then should we keep on sinning? Because then grace would abound even more. Maybe your translation says this one doesn't. Should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. No, don't do it. Run away. We've died to sin. How can we continue to live in it? I think sometimes though we do this. We say, oh, I have this invitation, right? I've, I've got this, this opportunity to go to the feast, to enter into a relationship with Jesus. But I've also got some things that I really like to do. And I know Jesus isn't a big fan of them, but, but you know what? Psh, psh, it's okay. I'll pray later and I'll ask him to forgive me and it'll be all right. We do this. We do this. And we continue in a cycle of sin, banking on, hey, God is going to forgive me. It's okay. And we persist in that cycle. And we never actually let Holy Spirit transform whatever it is that's broken in our heart that pulls us towards that behavior, towards that sin. And so we take something wonderful and beautiful, the grace of God, this free gift that he offers us, and we abuse it. I think it was Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls that cheap grace, right? He says, oh, sweet, (laughs) there's grace. I can pretty much do whatever I want. 
because God's grace will cover it. Sounds like a really good deal. Paul says, of course not. When you come into that relationship with Jesus, you have died to sin. Died to sin. How can you continue to live in it? But I think sometimes we do that. We reject the clothing. We reject the, the dress code that the king has and say, no, I'm just gonna, man, I, I think it's, it's gonna be all right. God will forgive me. It's cool. There will be a feast. Many are invited. But there's a dress code. And probably the most popular of the four plot points that we're gonna talk about today, there's judgment. We live in a culture that is, is it's this weird combination because we, we are both at the same time very, like, we, we avoid any sort of judgment call and we're super, super judgy all together. I, I'm not sure how we've arrived at, at this point. Right? But even simple things, right? Like, we're scared to make a judgment call about simple things. Like, oh, hey, look at, here's this little kid's soccer team. Like, eh, I, don't, I don't know if I'm qualified to say that one of the teams won and one of the teams lost. Uh, let's give them all trophies. No, that, that, that team is terrible at soccer. Like, they should not be given trophies. They should be kicked out of the league. Like, send those kids home. But we can't even make judgments about stuff like that. We, do, we don't all, oh, hey, who am I to judge? Right, and we take this super passive approach. The reality is, right, you should have people in your life and I'm grateful that I do, but you should have people in your life that if you're like, oh, hey, here's what I'm thinking that I, I want to do. And they're like, that's stupid. <laughs> like, don't do that. Maybe you're married to one of those people. You should be grateful to God that you have a spouse who's keeping you from doing something really dumb. <laughs> but we don't do that. What do, what do we do instead? Hey, man, you, you do you. Hey, man, if that's your truth, Hey, just, just follow your heart. No, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can trust it? Seriously, seriously, imagine with me. Let's just say here, just the, those of us in this room, if you did everything that your heart wanted to do, what would your life look like? It'd be really friggin' scary. And then times that by what do we got in here? 300, 400 people. If just us in this room did that, Think how off the rails our lives would be. But we don't want to know, hey, yeah, man, just follow your heart. And we don't want to make any sort of a judgment. And that's, that's terrible. Because judgment is baked into the system. There will be judgment. Since the king was furious, this is with the, the initial invitees. So the king was furious and he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. We've done people a disservice by trying to sanitize or sterilize the wrath of God. We say, oh, you know, hey, God is love. Like, man, you just, you, you, Jesus will accept you however you are. It's true, but he loves you too much to let you stay that way. He's not gonna leave you there. But we, we focus on, oh, God is love. God is all, hey, it, it's all like sunshine and daisies. Like, it's okay, right? This, I'll be, I'll be honest, I got really angry. I got really angry this past week as I was preparing this message. There are, there are churches, and, and, and this, this bothers me, and this is the recorded service, so hopefully I don't get, like, but, but this makes me angry. There are churches that take something that God has said, this is sin, and they celebrate it. This is, the, this is the world we live in. Like it blows my mind and it makes me angry because we say, oh, well, hey, but, but God is loving. God is loving. So, hey, you can just 
just do whatever you want to do. No, if you have kids, you know that is the, that's the worst parenting philosophy ever. You don't. I would, I would suggest to you, if you treat your kids that way, hey, kids, do whatever you like, you don't love your children. You don't. That is the worst approach to parenting that you could take. God says, I love you. And I know, right, this way, this way, if you go this way, there's blessings. But this way is death and curses and pain. And I want to keep you from that. But we take the things that God says are sinful and we celebrate them. Because we don't, we don't want to upset people. There's a, I've seen it a few times now on social media floating around and I, I looked into it a little bit. And from what I could find, it's actually a quote attributed to a pastor, which made me even more angry. But it was the statement, I would rather be excluded for who I include than included for who I exclude. This is the idea of saying that something sinful is something good, something that should be celebrated. This is to say, hey, Jesus, I see you've got a dress code. That's the posture to God. And these are people within the church. The king was furious. And he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. Now, again, if you look at, look at what Jesus is saying here, there were past implications. Right? Because after centuries of the prophets trying to call God's people back to his way, the curses that he said would fall on them fell on them. Ten of the tribes were, were taken captive by Assyria and two of the tribes were taken captive by Babylon. They were removed from the land God had promised them and they were put into exile. All the things God had promised, they were stripped away from those things because they refused to live into what God had called them to do. Their cities were destroyed. So this actually happened. There's also possible for Jesus near future implications because in AD 70, Rome came in and burned Jerusalem, destroyed the temple. He said, man, like, judgment will happen. And then with the guy who wasn't wearing the right clothes, the king said, bind his hands and feet and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This person who refused to let the change happen, who refused to put on those garments. says they're thrown out into the darkness. We're going to go back to Revelation, this time in chapter 20. Revelation 20, John writes this, part of his vision. He says, and I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. You can't escape God. He says, I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up their dead and death and the grave gave up their dead and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. God is loving, but God is also just. And there are consequences for the choices that we make. Do we choose the path of life that he has put before us or do we choose the easy road, the one that heads to destruction? In John 3, starting in verse 16, which the first verse we're gonna all probably know, like, man, you could, maybe you've never stepped foot in a church before today, you probably know what John three sixteen is, 
right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's verse 16. Verse 17, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but that the world would be saved through him. You're like, wait, I thought you just said there's judgment. There's just what? Like, I'm confused. Like, this doesn't make sense. All right, let's read verse 18. It says, there's no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. Our default position is judgment. You don't come in and get, well, hey, like a video game, right? Hey, maybe I get like three tries and if I can get it right in three tries, then I win. No, you come in already having lost. And the only chance at at, at anything beyond loss is Jesus. So when it says Jesus came into the world to save the world, it's because everyone was already under judgment. And Jesus came in to say, I want to give you a way out to free you from judgment. Back to Revelation, it says outside the city are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idol worshipers, and all who love to live a lie. And Paul, in another one of his compare and contrast between the flesh and the spirit in Galatians chapter 5, 19 through 21, says this. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, he's writing to church people. He's writing to church people. So again, when we talk about people that would abuse the grace of God, he's saying, man, to those of you who are saying, yes, I'm in with Jesus, but yet you continue to follow the desires of your flesh, of your sinful nature, he says the results are clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. This should scare us. He's writing to church people. In today's culture, we're afraid of anything binary, but you there are two choices. There are two choices. You'll sit at the feast or you will sit in judgment. Those, those, are, those are the options that are on the table for us. And through Jesus, he says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. He sent his son into the world that the world through him might be saved. If we accept that, And then we allow Holy Spirit to transform us, shaping our lives more and more into the likeness of Jesus. We have a seat at the feast. The only other option is to sit in judgment. Now, I want to wrap up as the worship team comes up here. With, with three things, right? When we talk about this idea of the exclusivity of Christ, I want to mention three things here because I, I do think it's important and hopefully it doesn't sound contradictory to what I've been saying, right? But the first one is this, right? The exclusivity is not a bludgeon. This is not something that you go into conversations with other people and say, hey, do you know Jesus? And try to beat it into them. There's judgment, but it isn't coming from us. Now, Paul later says, right, this is a little pet peeve of mine. Paul talks later about how we do judge those in the church, right? We are called to hold each other to a higher standard. But in in an eternal sense, God, not us, is the judge. So this is not something to go around and hit people with. It's not a bludgeon. And it's not a bragging right. 
why isn't it a bragging right? Because you didn't do it. I didn't do it. It was Jesus. I didn't pull myself up by my own bootstraps and get good enough to kind of sneak in there with Jesus. It was all him and only him. So it's not something that I can say, hey, I have this. Look at what I have accomplished. It's Jesus. I believe that the exclusivity of Christ, the idea that Jesus is the only way should be a holy burden for those of us who claim his name. If there's only one right answer, and Jesus said, there's only one right answer, and you and I have that one right answer, there is a burden on us to take that to those around us. Right, last week, Pastor Brandon and I, we talked about this idea of of pursuing the lost of seeking after those who have wandered away from God. I think this should add some weight to that. Because for that person, there are two options. They can, they can choose to come to Jesus and have a seat at the feast or they will sit, sit forever in judgment. This should be a holy burden on us. So as we, as we do every week, I want to encourage you to ask yourself this question. What is Holy Spirit saying to me in this moment? Maybe you're somebody who Holy Spirit reveals to you, you're, you're that person who lives abusing the grace of Jesus. Whatever that thing is, whatever that sin is, you just... Maybe you like it just a little bit too much to to totally let go. And Holy Spirit is saying, wash your robes. Allow Holy Spirit to transform your heart and your life. I'm going to invite our prayer teams down to the corners at this time. Man, whatever, if you're wrestling with something, or even if you're not wrestling with something, right? our prayer teams are there for you just to come alongside you, to lift you up, to pray with you, to pray for you. I want to encourage you to take advantage of the fact that they are there for you. As we sing this last song, right? and this last song is a blessing. We're going to sing this blessing over you. But if you need prayer, again, prayer teams down there, the altars are open. But I want to encourage you. Look in the mirror and reflect. You you wearing the right clothes? Is Holy Spirit transforming you? Are you allowing Holy Spirit to transform you?